name is Merrick Egbert. This is the official podcast of the Els for Autism Foundation for Autism. We call our podcast this because it's a play on our foundation's name and Merrick and I are both terrible golfers. But we love how golf has become such a transformative tool to helping people with autism. When I'm not recording the podcast, I'm a member of our growing research team and a tennis coach. And when I'm not part of the podcast, I'm an administrative assistant filling in the gaps of each department like glue. I am also autistic. This is our sixth episode, planning and arrangements and housing options. What we hope to do is to present news and updates about our foundation, interviews or feature stories that play a big role with us and with the community as a whole. Speaking of which, we also have our Today in the World of Autism segment, where we posit the news and current events reflective of the world we live in today. Nate, can you give us any news and updates about the foundation? It would be my pleasure. As we start to make the full transition back to the center, we are excited to welcome some new employees. Loden Malone is our newest addition to the adult services team as a job coach. And Marissa Eck is our new board certified behavior analyst, otherwise known as BCBA. We are very fortunate to have both of them. And we look forward to hopefully introducing them to you as guests on future podcast episodes. On behalf of the foundation, we would like to express sincere gratitude to all those who have donated to our mission recently. This allows us to continue to provide services that aim to improve the skills and lives of individuals with autism spectrum disorder. Lastly, we'd like to give a huge congratulations to all the students who recently graduated on September 4th from the Learning Academy, which is one of the two schools which calls the ELS Center for Excellence Campus home. We are so proud of your achievement and we wish you all the best moving forward and in your future endeavors. All right, so this month's theme is about planned giving and estate planning of individuals with autism. I figured what a better way to have an interview for our show than to introduce my parents to our listening audience. My father, Mitchell Egbert, is a lawyer, and my mother, Deborah Egbert, is a retired corporate executive. Through the many years of raising me and beyond, they've always had a plan in their minds as to what kind of future I will live, especially after they're gone. To start off, Nate will ask a few questions. First of all, Mitchell and Deborah, I'd just like to welcome you to our podcast and thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us today. So my first question, first question is um, Merrick has, so Merrick's been able to achieve many great accomplishments in a wide variety of areas, but what about him are you most proud of? I'll start it up and uh, thanks for having us. Well, uh, Merrick has a lot of uh, inspiring attributes. Uh, His compassion, his creativity, his independence. He's got a great work ethic Um, and he's not a follower. He's a a leader for awareness and change. He's a phenomenal role model and an advocate. The other thing that's very, um, I'm very proud of Merrick is that He's very gifted when it comes to his ability to write um, profound poems and songs. Every time I read one, which usually is about daily because he writes all the time, 
I, you know, every time I do read them, I'm amazed at his ability to put words together in a unique way to bring new insight into any concept. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I, I echo all the things that uh, Debbie said, but uh, something else interesting about Merrick, which I'm proud of, but it, it, you know, part of that, but also makes life interesting for all of us is Merrick's curiosity about things. You know, we were a family that sees, uh, we go to concerts, we go to movies, including art house films. Merrick enjoys that, enjoys discussing with us afterwards. He'll try new things, particularly in the area of the arts and uh, music. Recently, in the last couple of years, we, we got into opera and, and, you know, instead of just kind of, you know, shunning it, Merrick said, hey, you know, I don't mind going. It'd be fun to see and, and, and to learn something new. Um, also, a couple of years, you know, a number of years ago, Merrick uh, began interning. Now, I don't think it was the Ells Foundation at that point. It was any... He did this all on his own. I mean, he sent the email on his own. I think it was to the Renaissance Foundation. Is that how it was originally called? The, um, the organization, Merrick? No, it, it, it was always the Ells for Autism Foundation. It was just that we uh, integrated the Renaissance uh, series of schools into our overall domain. Okay, so you had wanted to get a job or always begin working with uh, in the field of uh, help special needs and autism. And you went out on your own and you sent an email and you began volunteering and interning and did such a good job. Eventually you landed a position with the Ells Foundation. And uh, that took a lot of, you know, of uh, aggressive and interest on your part to do something like that. And, uh, you know, most people just say, well, I want to just find a job, pays really well right at the outset. But you knew that you had to kind of work at it, and you did. And that was a really, you, Mom and I think that was really a tremendous achievement. And we know in speaking with people at Ells and, and seeing things on the Ells Foundation site, how much you're appreciated there. I think they even attest to that every podcast. Of, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm definitely one of Merrick's biggest fans. It's really cool to hear you guys uh, speak about his accomplishments and just what you highlighted are some of the the things that I I notice uh, in Merrick, and I think I speak for all the employees here. We were very um, amazed at his ability with writing and poetry and just some of his cool hobbies related to music and art as well are. Um, really, uh, I would say, unique and int an interesting thing about him. Yeah, you know, something else is that you know, I've been in, uh, I started like being a lead singer in some local, you know, local cover bands in the area, do, you know, doing, you know, Sweet Home Alabama and all that. But I'll tell you the most, the best uh, thing that I do with Merrick in terms of that is when he writes his lyrics and contributes to the melodies, we, I write some of the melodies to songs together. And that's actually a lot more interesting, a lot more fun than singing cover songs because they're really good. And it culminated uh, about a year and a half ago, we went down to the Key Largo Original Music Festival and Merrick uh, performed a number of these songs uh, to 
you know, spectators and audience members. And um, it was really a, a great experience. I have to tell you, I mean, it was one of the, one of the best experiences of my life. And I think Debbie as a spectator yeah, thought was, the same thing. It was, it was, it was a serious uh, regional music festival and, and, and that was really pretty cool. So, you know, when you talk about what we're proud of, he's also led us into doing things that we never would have done as parents because of his talents, uh, his ingenuity. And um, so that's kind of cool. Yeah. Wow, that is a great accomplishment. I didn't even know about that one. Um, so my second question, what are some resources that you see available to families today that were maybe not as accessible for families that had a child with autism back in the 90s or uh, even before then? Well, something I know you two guys talk about, particularly you, Nate, when you uh, do your, um, you know, Today in the World of Autism on your podcast about technology. But I, I think that really technology is one of the, the biggest resources that have come into vogue um, since the 90s. You know, cell phones, you know, uh, uh, children who are autistic or on the spectrum. I think parents... It, it, can feel more secure and safe with the technology that's out there. It allows them computers, it allows them to uh, express themselves more. And then in, in tandem with that are the uh, advocacy organizations which have sprung up over the last 15 years, including uh, organizations such as the Ellis Foundation, which uh, advocate for the disabled, which then in turn makes society understand the disabled and those on the spectrum, that they can be lead meaningful lives, both in terms of in terms of social skills, but also in terms of, of employment and work. So I think all these things have worked in tandem. But I think the main thing is that the difference has been the, the, the digital age. Yeah. And and to add to that, the the way I kind of summarize it is um, in the '90s. You, you, as parents with an autistic child, you kind of felt alone. Um, you were just, you know, you were advocate, advocating for your child on a daily basis. And you were learning, everyone around you was learning, whether it was teachers, whether it was, you know, anyone you dealt with. And today the awareness and the resources um, regarding autism are just amazing, you know, like Elle's. And um, so that for parents, you have a support system, which is really a blessing. So there, it's just been, you know, we've kind of, because of Merrick's age, you know, and with the 90s and everything, we kind of went along the road of the evolution of a support system in place and awareness and everything that came out um, regarding autism and, you know, other people on the spectrum and stuff, other parts of the spectrum. Yeah, I know Merrick talks about this in today's in the world of autism, particularly from the arts and movies and everything. And look how, how different everything, how far we've come since the late 80s or the 80s with the movie Rain Man, which was really the public's first exposure on film to an autistic individual. And look, you know, there was some criticism of that film, I think, in terms of, you know, that it kind of put everybody on the spectrum and, and packaged them into one type of individual. So look how far we've come since then in terms of the disabled and how they're represented in movies and television. 
Uh, again, I think all that impacts society to make it a better place and a, and a more rewarding place for people that are disabled. That's a lot of great points that you guys make. I wanna just revisit one thing that you highlighted, which was the advancement of technology and how that's created some of these great opportunities for families to connect and for um, research and, and awareness to be you know, emphasized to a, to a greater degree. People are always talking about the negative aspects of technology and social media, but I think this is just such a great example that if used in the right way to connect people that are experiencing something different um, to helping them not feel so alone is such a great avenue for technology. Yeah, and even um, one of the things where Merrick kind of made us look at things a little differently in the whole idea, you know, the big push to get cars that are self-driving cars. And, you know, you would think about it and, well, what's the benefit in this and what the, the different things, would you ever do it or not? And Merrick, Merrick years ago kind of said that, hey, you know, because Merrick doesn't drive, he said, I would love to have one of those cars because then that adds to my independence. And so he's allowed us to look at things in a whole different way and especially things that are going on in technology that um, could, give, could give someone on the spectrum more and more independence. Yeah, absolutely. So my last question here is more of a fun one. I know that Merrick is very fond of travel and he could be characterized as a foodie or someone who loves food. I share this in common with him. So what are some of your favorite vacation trips that you've taken as a family? And uh, you could talk about some of the food you've encountered as well. All right, I'll start. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm the hardcore traveler. Um, I love traveling and I did it for work and I'm, you know, I'm the one that really is gung-ho. I would go traveling every minute of the day. Um, so on my bucket list, and it was when, you know, for when I retired and when um, we sold our house back in Maryland and everything, was to go on a Panama Canal cruise. And part of that was also because I have a technical background coming from an engineering background. I was fascinated by the whole Panama Canal story. So um, we waited until we could work it out with Mitchell and Merrick's schedule. And so our last trip really because of COVID-19 and everything was um, December of last year through January, we did it, it was a holiday cruise. So you had Christmas, Hanukkah, New Year's, New Year's Day, that whole span. We were on a 17 night uh, Panama Canal cruise which uh, before that, the longest we'd ever been on a cruise was about a week. And so we went to nine different ports besides the Panama Canal. We were, you know, the Bahamas, but we also went to Curaçao, Aruba, to, um, to Costa Rica, to Nicaragua, Guatemala, Mexico, and ended up, we left from Fort Lauderdale and ended up in San Diego. And what was so fascinating is, and of course we went out, we got off on every port, was going to very, what we would deem as very exotic places and getting to meet the people, the different kinds of foods, the different kind of culture. Um, it, was, it was just amazing. 
And Mira could give you a line by line of each country and what they were known for, because he, he, he did research on each country. <laughs> and so that we had to find that particular food if they made it on the ship or if we could find it somewhere um, when we were in that particular country. And it was really fun when we went through the Panama Canal, they made, um, in very early in the morning, they had a pastry that is known um, in Panama. Merrick, what was that called? Oh, shoot. I don't even remember it. Um, it feels like six years ago since we were on that cruise. <laughs> but it's it was so they, long ago. Actually, Merrick and Nate, it actually felt like six years when we were on that cruise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you've been on ship for 17 days? <laughs> yeah. I loved it. I would go a month on a ship. There are maybe not so much. But it was, it, when you're gonna go on a cruise, you, you, for us, what helped was that we picked ports. Uh, we picked, I picked a cruise that had lots of ports on it because we would have we gotten a little bored if we were just on the ship the whole time. So it broke it up that we constantly were going to ports and all the places we went, except for leaving from Fort Lauderdale and going to San Diego, we had never been to. So it was um, a new experience for all three of us to share. Okay, so right now I will get over to my questions. So, as your son, when did you all start planning my future and what are some lessons you all learned along the way? Well, we started planning your future very, very early. Um, we first looked at the different challenges that you had you know, things like your motor skill delays, um, your speech, you had some speech issues, um, you know, eye contact, just all around anything that you needed. We, we start seeking out, um, again, it was the 90s and trying to find people that would help us. We start seeking out people to figure out um, how to address those things. But we also marveled at uh, things that you did really well and you excelled in. Uh, we learned really early that you were like this puzzle whiz and you didn't even have to know what the puzzle was and you were able to put puzzles together. And you and I used to have puzzle contests when you were like really little, two, three. I mean, we were having little puzzle contests and it was a lot of fun. And, and I think it, um, even at that young age gave you a form of pride. Uh, we also, you started reading very early and, um, you know, teachers would say to, you know, I remember your kindergarten teacher was like, no, 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 he's not reading. He's just learned, he just memorizes words. And we're like, no, he's really reading because we would go to museums and things with you. And you'd start, we would be looking at the pictures, at the paintings and you'd all, you'd start reading the instructions on the side that would tell you about what to do with, um, you know, baby carriages and all this kind of stuff. And we're going, what are you looking at? And so we realized you were reading because the, these of course were not words you were memorizing. So um, it, it, that was fascinating. And of course, um, when you got into your teens, when you were doing poems and songs, we embraced that. The, one of the big things was we always, you know, there's only the three of us, you know, you're our only child. We wanted to establish, and I think we did a very open communication with you so that you always felt safe, that you always felt willing to share anything that was on your mind. Nothing was um, taboo. We wanted you to share anything that you were going through or feeling or 
concerns about or questions about. And, you know, we always wanted you to know that you were always loved and that, that we, were, we were very proud of you and that we were here to support you in anything you wanted to achieve. And we try to make it as nur nurturing as possible. And, um, you know, we, and be very flexible, um, you know, even to the point where we kind of changed um, our lifestyles when you wanted to go to college and everything that, you know, we looked all over for the best program and the best program ended up being in Florida. So it was, how do we get at least one of us to relocate to Florida? Um, so that we wouldn't be that far away from you with hurricanes and everything if there was a problem. So we ended up doing that. Dad moved down to Florida with you and I, I stayed back in Maryland for almost 14 years until we could all, you know, come and live in Florida together, which just happened in 2018. So um, we just tried to be flexible. Other things we looked at, and I know we'll get into it later, but, you know, about looking at, um, letting you have a bank account and get used to using a, a bank card and you've been unbelievable the way you've been tracking your money and knowing to the penny of, of what you've spent things on on a monthly basis on a daily basis and also pursued special needs trust for you and, and different things like that yeah uh, looking at your question merrick uh, reminds me of the cliche the future is now um, and it may sound like a cliche, but I think every parent, particularly those of children with uh, special needs, that cliche is more reality because like any other parent of a neurotypical child, you want your child to get a good, there are three things in life. You want to get a good education, be able to be employed, and then live as independently as possible, whether you're neurotypical or whether you have special needs. Um, so you kind of start early and you're, and you're always working towards it. You're always planning for the future. That's why I say the future is now. You're always planning on it. It never stops. And uh, as an example, uh, in the public school system, as any parent with a child with special needs know, you try to develop an independent education program uh, with teachers and try to find the teachers that are most empathetic to special needs. I know you had a teacher back at uh, in the elementary school you were in when we were living in Severna Park, Maryland, named Mrs. Bridabell. And we tried to have you stay with her. Do you, you recall Mrs. Bridewell? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, I, I know you thought she was important to you as a teacher. Maybe you want to speak to that. But you're always, always planning for the future. The IEP, as Mom has mentioned and we'll talk about later, is basically an early version of a special needs trust that parents do that we'll talk about. So you're always working towards the future. And we were always, and planning. Yeah, and we were always told that, um, you know, that as long as you're continuing to learn, you never know um, when you've plateaued. You just keep providing and nurturing, nurturing, and then, you know, um, and you continue to grow, you know, as as, as much as you can. Okay. So, how did you all feel when I was moving out to live independently 
And when did you know that I was ready? Well, we knew you were ready when you really wanted to do it. You know, a lot of people say, I want to live out on my own. Again, this, this is, isn't just with special needs children. It's with all uh, young people. Well, except we knew you were ready when you wanted, wanted to do it. And, and one of the things that began that was when we were living in Maryland, and the reason we came to Florida originally, used you and I, was we looked for, you wanted to go to college, and we were looking for, for you to have that experience, but as well as to live on campus or as close to campus as possible. And we found a program in Gainesville that was both an a independent living program and assisting with that, and a college program. So that would give you greater confidence to take steps in the future to move on your own. And um, I forgot what that program was called. It was 15 years ago, but I do think um, it had a, a, a big impact positively on you to get the confidence to, to get where you are today, both in terms of your employment and then uh, your education, of course, you went to Florida Atlantic University and I think graduated, what, what did you graduate? Cum laude. Cum laude. Just don't missed mean, Don't mean to embarrass you there. Just Barry. missed by a smither <laughs> the magna cum Okay, but I think, what did you say? Go owls. <laughs> uh, that, um, that, that really uh, gave you greater confidence to take further steps. And again, like I said earlier, it's all just kind of just continuing to plan for the future, building blocks, step by step by step, which leads you to where you are now, which is you know living on your own and um, working at Ells and having an education behind you. And what's amazing is your degree was in communications, which people wouldn't necessarily think someone on the spectrum would choose that as their degree. And um, with Elle's help, you're actually utilizing your degree, which is amazing. And, you know, so many people graduate with a degree and they never get to use it. And so that's, that's been just wonderful that you've been able to leverage um, what you've learned you know, and one, apply it. Well, here's another thing maybe, Nate, you don't know. One thing about America is he's always wanted to work, unlike his father. <laughs> okay, we'd rather sleep all day. He, he gets this okay. from his mom. He gets it from his mother, <laughs> his work ethic, not certainly not from me. And, uh, but he always wanted to work, so he worked retail, things like that. And one of the things that helped him in that regard about being able to move out independently, going back to the question was, you know, the Palm Tran down here in Palm Beach County, I think it's a very good service. And yeah. I think it helps a lot of people on the spectrum be able to get, who can't drive, allows them to get out and and work and socialize and um, it's a great thing and Merrick started using that he started using that on his own to go to school and to do shopping and go to some of the places he worked before else and he uses it now to come to else uh, when it's available he, so, al he also know. he also back to that other question about a foodie he would then tell us he did research and found some exotic restaurant in some place in Florida. And the next thing we knew is he was taking Palm Tran to go there for lunch or for dinner on the weekends. And we'd be like, where are you? In what part of town do we What was that place you went to, Merrick, down in Delray or Boynton? What was it? Peruvian place or something? Um, I'm trying to remember. Um, 
There's been so many. You got but, some food but, there, I can't. Yeah, remember. but he anyway. would he would literally, you know, we were just like, when did you get to try that? And he goes, oh well, you know, I took I leveraged Palm Tran and I leveraged my desire to try new foods. So it was. Yeah, it was yeah, I went to this place down in Lake Worth called the Poutine Dog Cafe because I had never had poutine before, which is a French-Canadian specialty with fries, cheese curds, and gravy. And I got there. I didn't get a t-shirt from the place. And the sad story is that after I tried my first bite of poutine and really, really liked it, that place closed down a few months later. So... You know, sometimes you have to be there in the wind to actually get to where you're going. Good point. Even if it is unconventional. I want to add one funny story. When I was first working at Els and getting to know Merrick, I remember I suggested we go to lunch at Panera Bread, and Merrick just kind of gave me a scowl, like we can do a little better than that. <laughs> Oh yeah, he's our, well, um, when we, you know, what we, last year, we, um, Merrick had said on his wish list was to go to every state. So what we did was, and again, we try to do everything where there's something in it, you know, that each of us can participate in. So what we did was he had already been, he, he had maybe 13 states left to go to, because we travel a lot to begin with. And so it was, I did the logistics of setting up hotels and, you know, um, different things like from that and the airfare and all that kind of stuff. Mitchell, my husband, would look at all the different cultural and pop culture and, you know, special things, whatever was going on in the different um, states. And then Merrick's was responsible for the food and the drinks, anything that they were known for. And, and he would come up with he would come up with all the restaurants that we would have, and so it was like this family thing, and it, it was a blast. So we're only down to three states left, which we were hope we're hoping to do before the end of the year, given COVID lets us. But um, yeah, America and I can remember restaurants we went to. Like I, I always tell this to people. I see if America can get it now. America, remember the best place we ever had nachos at? That was your favorite place you had nachos. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, Bush. that was up in Sugarbush, right? Sugarbush, yeah. Vermont. Yes, of all places. Yeah. Anyway, okay. <laughs> well, I mean, my favorite place to have notches is Calaveras Cantina out over in uh, Jupiter. So anytime you all want to go out and see what the center of excellence has to offer, you can always stop by Calaveras Cantina and get your great nachos there. It's like my radio <laughs> promo ad for today. Yeah. That's where I'm going after this. <laughs> I don't know what you think is more exotic, Nate. Nachos in Sugarbush, Vermont, or nachos down here in Jupiter? I'm not sure I want to answer that question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, still ba I'm still back on the French fries with gravy and cheese. and. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last question. What would you all like to share with other families and legal guardians about planning for the future for someone with autism? Well, what I, what I would say is that, um, and it's hard, it's hard to think this way, but you, you, especially when you have a child that's on the spectrum that has autism, 
is that you have to think in terms of not just now, um, but the future and the future when you're no longer around. And that's very hard. And, um, you know, in terms of, you know, finances, how, how to set up your finances and how to emotional support, um, who's going to be there to give that extra support when you're not there and, you know, housing and in general, you're just your overall support system. So, you know, we did one of the first things that they always tell you to do is um, set up a special needs trust, you know, which we got with lawyers that were experts in that uh, to set that up. And now we're going to be revisiting it. And you, you should be revisiting all these different things like anybody would tell you, your wills, your trusts, you know, anything you're doing, your finances, um, how you do that. You're also, you know, also planning with different professionals and things like that. We're, we're doing um, estate planning. We're doing retirement planning and stuff like that. Um, because we know, for instance, you know, we just bought a, a place. It took us forever. We were looking everywhere. And we finally found a condo that we really liked because we wanted to do condo living in, um, on Singer Island. And, you know, when we did that, we also wanted to consider Merrick in it. So we made sure that it was in Palm Beach County. It wasn't far from Ells. It wasn't far from where he's living on his own in his own apartment. And that it had certain amenities that would be helpful for him because he will eventually get our condo. So there were certain things we were trying to think about that. And, you know, we also streamlined our finances instead of having them all over the place. I've pulled them now into, you know, a particular uh, one financial institution and Merrick's been part of that and everything so that it, it's going to be more streamlined, easier. You know, if you have a lot of cats and dogs all over the place with a lot of different finance people, that's very confusing, you know, especially, and it'll make it more complicated with your special needs trust. And, you know, just just to be establishing a network, you know, I'm reaching out since Mitchell's Merrick is an only child, you know, to my brother and his kids and, and, you know, um, cousins and things like that. I'll tell you one thing that's been very interesting with the COVID-19 is because people, you'll hear a lot of times people are reaching out to people and having Zoom calls or having calls or reaching out to people that they haven't talked to in a long time. And what's been very nice is Merrick's got cousins on both sides. My my brother-in-law, Mitchell's brother, has four kids, and my brother has three kids. And so um, Merrick's been reaching out to them, and they've been reaching out to him. And so he's got he's established um, a good relationship with his cousins, which is is very positive and helps with the whole idea of you know having a support system there. You know, I think that you know, I was going to say I, I think also about planning for the future is you know, of a community where your child is going to live. You know, is, is there something like Palm Tran there if they're never going to drive? Uh, if they want to get an education, does, these, does the college in the area have a pretty good support system for people that are disabled? I think you have to look at an overall, uh, the overall community because you'd never know, you know, employment, you know, that kind of thing. It, it, you never know where your child is headed and whatever support systems they can have, that's part of planning for the future. You know, if they're not going to live independently, it doesn't work out, whether 
Are there uh, assisted living or, or group homes or places such as that in the area or in the state you're living? Um, so I think you have to kind of, you're always, um, you know, the movie, there was a movie many years ago, I think it was made into a TV series called Parenthood. And then Steve Martin, Rick Moranis were in it originally. And one of the lines from the movie was, someone asked Steve Martin, he said, when does it, you know, when does the worrying end as a parent? And he said, never, it never does. And, but I think that parents of children with special needs in today's society, as Debbie was saying, can plan for the future because there's a lot more supports out there than there ever have been. So in that way, I think you can be optimistic about the quote, worrying about your child than you ever have before. I think in, outside of the pandemic and what's going on in our society, I think for ch uh, young people with special needs and parents of children with special needs, this is probably the best time of any time in history for both society's acceptance and understanding and supports that are near, as we've talked about during this interview, uh, i.e. technology, than ever before. So I think that's a good thing. And, and the biggest thing is to just reach out, look at what's there. Um, we Google a lot, you know, to see what's available. Um, we talk to other parents. We, you know, um, ELS has so much on their sites and, you know, it, you, you just want to leverage, you want to take advantage and, you know, and work it with Merrick. Merrick and I, you know, we have very open conversations about, you know, whether it's finances or anything, um, you know, talking about his future. So. A lot of great points made there, guys. Yep, definitely. And I really appreciate, um, oh, all the different thoughts and feelings and recollections. Uh, thank you all so much for taking your busy time to uh, be our interviewees for today. Thank you so much. You guys raised a, a good son and um, thanks for all the, the great advice on, uh, great advice for our listeners here. And we want to thank you, Nate, and you, Merrick, um, for inviting us to do this. And, um, and thank Els for giving Merrick this opportunity to do a podcast, and, um, you know, which is something he loves and has always wanted to do, as well as all the other um, opportunities they're providing him to help him live a lot of his dreams. So we appreciate that, too. All right. So as always, it is time to go over today in the world of autism, starting with my co-host, Dr. Nate Chinock. All right. Looking forward to this segment. The first story that I'll discuss is on the topic of autism awareness. And I'd like to start off by saying that Autism awareness has greatly increased over the last several decades, thanks to the efforts of not only passionate clinicians and researchers, but also incredible organizations like Autism Speaks, the National Autistic Society, 
and of course, our very own Els for Autism Foundation. There was recently a study done on some of the work that's being done by the popular legendary TV show Sesame Street uh, and some of the work that they've been doing to increase autism awareness. So Sesame Street, five years ago, they introduced a new character to the show, a preschool aged girl with autism spectrum disorder named Julia. The show has done a lot of commendable work on the web as well, in which they've created a website called Sesame Street and Autism, See Amazing in All Children. And this contains valuable information, not only about the condition, but it also provides many great resources for parents of a child with autism. We've linked this website to our show notes for today. So there was recently a study that was published in the journal Autism from Cheryl Dichter and colleagues, and they investigated whether viewing this Sesame Street website led to increased autism awareness in parents that were both personally affected by the developmental disability, so they had a child with autism, and they also explored the effect of viewing this website on parents who did not have a child with autism. The researchers, they were interested in exploring both explicit and implicit biases towards autism, and they did this in 473 parents who had a child with autism, and also they had 707 parents participate who did not have a child with autism. To look at explicit perceptions of autism, they used various self-reported questionnaires. And to look at implicit perceptions, they used a test, which is known as the implicit association test. And so parents completed both of these measures before and after spending two hours navigating through the See Amazing website and all the resources that are offered there. And the researchers, they sought to determine whether viewing this website would lead to the, this reduced uh, explicit and implicit bias in parents, and then whether um, this would lead to increased feelings of empowerment in parents of children with ASD. So um, whether their reduced stigmatization would lead to increased feelings of empowerment for parents. At baseline, parents who did not have a child with ASD had significantly greater implicit biases towards autism compared to parents of children who have this condition. And at post-test, this significant difference between groups was no longer present and both groups showed reduced biases. Additionally, the parents who had more implicit bias at baseline showed the greatest reductions from pre to post. And these reductions were related to increased parental empowerment as the researchers hypothesized. So what this showed was that something as simple as this, viewing uh, a very nice website with great resources, some, some viewing something like this led to reduced biases in parents. And um, this was the strongest uh, impact was on parents who had the most bias prior to viewing the website. So it just shows that something that an effort like this from Sesame Street can have such a great impact on societal perceptions of autism. So Merrick, I wanna ask you a question after reviewing this article. 
it's obviously great to see this commendable work done by Sesame Street and other media outlets as well. But what else can we as a society do to increase autism awareness and further reduce bias towards individuals with ASD and other disabilities? Well, I think that while media representation is always very important, um, one thing that could also help is to find ways to increase exposure by individuals to those with autism um, and to increase exposure to the diversity within the spectrum so that people don't have this preconceived notion of what autism is. I think overall, the media representations have been pretty decent, pretty good. And some of them, like atypical, have been a little bit more realistic, which is always good. I also think that um, it's, it's good for volunteers to work with us and to uh, see what it is that uh, that helps us and that helps the community as a whole. I think that there should be more uh, reasons from the different institutions and the different uh, organizations that, that help out when it comes to uh, getting people to volunteer, I think that there should be uh, maybe greater incentives for people to come volunteer for organizations and foundations like us. Um, you know, just to end up uh, asking if someone would be able to make a friend of someone with autism. I, I think that some of our programs and services in the past have been very, very helpful to give individuals a greater outlook. And it's been really, really nice. I could name any one of our programs and services and basically say, yeah, that definitely has an impact on what people think about when it comes to uh, individuals with autism. So I, I just basically believe that um, more foundations and organizations like us shall exist and more colleges and any organization that promotes volunteering. Well, what I mean is any organization that uh, is responsible for giving us our volunteers would uh, be able to have uh, would, would look more and more towards getting uh, individuals involved with us. Yeah, that's kind of uh, I know that's kind of selfish, but you know, sometimes selfishness isn't that bad of a thing when it comes to helping out the community as a whole. So I would like to turn this question over to Nate to see 
if he has any kind of uh, uh, insight that would be helpful to answer this question too. Well, I definitely agree with the points that you just raised. And I'd just like to emphasize the point about volunteering, because I think that volunteering and actually spending time interacting with a variety of different individuals who have autism, there's really no substitute to understanding the condition quite like that. This is an excellent start, having a website with some valuable resources to introduce people to autism, but that experience of volunteering and getting to know these children is so valuable because there's a popular saying in this field, which is if you've met one child with autism, well, you've met one child with autism. There's such a, a diversity with how individuals will present and what their personalities will be like um, on the spectrum. And also to the point about volunteering, we've had many volunteers from the local high school come out and assist us with our recreation services like golf and tennis. And I know I don't wanna speak for them, but they've indicated just not only um, that it was a great way to spend their time and get volunteer hours, but also the impact of interacting with these individuals, the impact that it had on them. And, you know, actually they described making some really nice friends while they were assisting us with these programs. So um, to, to that point, I, I would say that it's not, not entirely selfish for us to continue to, um, to try to get volunteers and encourage young people, especially to spend some time here and interact with our, with our students and our participants. Yeah, exposure breeds empathy. And I'm sure that you, uh, because of your exposure, has given you a greater insight as to how individuals with autism work. I'm not just talking about myself. So I really appreciate it. And I think that, you know, more people should be like you. Well, thank you. It's certainly been rewarding for me to, to get more experience and, and get to know everybody here. There's so many good people um, who are clients and participants here and also just the people who spend their time um, working for this cause as well. Yeah. I would now like to transition to a feature story where I'll be talking about an individual, Christopher um, or CJ Zweig, who recently became a, a DJ for a new radio, uh, a new internet radio network. And I'm excited to talk about the opportunity that is, is out there now on radio for individuals with autism. So CJ credits the 2006 movie Little Miss Sunshine for inspiring his passion in film critique and radio work. The movie is considered by many, including myself, to be, <laughs> yep, to be fantastic. It's a classic. 
Um, and I would say that in summary, it's about relentlessly chasing dreams and not giving up on those dreams. So Zweig, CJ Zweig is now 27 years old and he's already achieved great success as a film critic. You can find his many film reviews on his website as well as his YouTube channel, which we've linked in our show notes. And based on the work he's done thus far, he drew the attention of New HD Radio, which is, as the title might indicate, it's a new internet radio network, which is devoted to hiring individuals with disabilities, especially those with autism spectrum disorder. CJ Zweig will appear on New HD three days per week to share various film reviews for modern movies. He opened up and was quoted as saying that it is very challenging for adults with ASD to find meaningful employment. And this radio station is a great opportunity for us to prove our value. I couldn't agree more with that. New HD Media was founded by Zach Martin who is also the creative director of WFAN in New York. And when asked about this new network, Martin explained that he hoped that this will enable more diversity in the media. There will be more voices present um, and accessible to everyone. And that it's an enormous opportunity to remove what he sees as barriers to entry in this field. Another key driving force behind New HD is the uh, former New York Giants star running back, Tiki Barber, who now also has a radio show called Tiki and Tierney that's syndicated nationally. CJ Zweig has not let the COVID-19 pandemic slow down his movie reviews. He recently did a review on the, the Spike Lee movie, The Five Bloods, which he explain has been his favorite movie thus far. And this movie stars actor Chadwick Boseman, who sadly recently passed away at the age of 43. Um, but Zweig has also on his website posted a three minute tribute video to Boseman, which is a very moving video and excellent to watch if you're a fan of some of his work. CJ Zweig is one of the three on-air hosts of New HD who are on the spectrum. He's joining Jeremy McCracklin of California and Rachel Barcelona of Florida. And I'd like to point out that Rachel is a great friend of the foundation and she's also a member of our advisory board. So Rachel, we definitely look forward to checking out your show on New HD Radio. You can tune in to New HD Radio to catch these three great hosts and also to catch uh, a newly posted review of Disney's Mulan from CJ Zweig. So this is definitely a, a great story and an inspiring one. And I'd like to ask you, Merrick, as somebody who has dreams of being a radio DJ and has achieved great success as a podcast host, what does it mean to you to see an opportunity like this emerge for individuals with ASD? Well, I think that um, perhaps a misconception about individuals with autism is that all of us are uh, introverts. 
although you can basically say that there's more than a black and white definition of what an introvert is, but there are plenty of people out there who really, really enjoy uh, just basically going into this high social overdrive because it's about the passion. It's about the passion to educate individuals about different subjects. It's part of the hyper-focus, which means that you take something and you roam with it all the way to where you become an expert on it. Or what I was told when I was younger, what was called little professors. Uh, so you basically become an expert on it. And it's just sometimes it can be really difficult to actually get a spot or a position in radio. And I don't mean this about all radio stations, but when I was going to college, I actually was going to college so that I could do something like what I'm doing right now, which is to co-host a podcast or to do anything in radio. I didn't intern for a radio station. I tried to, uh, Get, I try to become a host for the um, radio station at my college. And that became very weird for me. So I graduated with a bachelor's degree in communication studies. And I learned quite quickly how difficult it actually was to get involved with the radio apparatus that um, catered to the neurotypical community, I guess, as you can say. Mm -hmm. And I just, eventually I decided that it wasn't going to help, that it's still good to pursue the dream, but it wasn't really at all going to help me. So I think that for individuals out there who have come into contact with the heavily restrictive uh, uh, world of radio. I, I think that something like this is very, very important. And I think that it shows exactly how we function as social beings and individuals. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't even have a radio name. I guess I would call myself DJ Hummingbird or something like that. Okay. But I am just really, really pleased to have this opportunity at the foundation to co-host a podcast with my friend, DJ um, uh, Nate the Great. That has a nice ring to it. <laughs> it has a really nice ring to it. Uh I think that people would actually want to uh, tune in more for DJ Nate the Great than DJ Hummingbird. I couldn't disagree with that more. I, I think DJ Hummingbird or DJ Merrick the Maverick, uh, either way, that's, I think that's what people are tuning in for. Well, if I can only take this opportunity to spin some records... <laughs> of course, no one wants to hear 60s garage rock that nobody even knows. I'm sure that you would have a lot more of a following because of your greater knowledge of contemporary music. 
<laughs> yeah, but I'm not a little professor on 60s garage rock. Oh, well, you're a big professor. <laughs> Literally, I mean, you're, you teach at FAU, so. Well, thank you. I appreciate the compliment. Okay. I, I like, uh, I think it's all about the teamwork. Yeah, as I've heard before, teamwork makes the dream work. <laughs> How cheesy is that? But it means something. It does. And um, appreciate your interesting thoughts and sharing your experience as somebody who I know you have, have long had aspirations to work in radio and as a um, uh, someone who studied communications. So again, um, you know, congrats on being able to host this podcast. And um, I know that to, to make it in radio, it's, it's extremely challenging, regardless of what your background is. So just to summarize, it's, it's great to see um, an opportunity like this. And we hope that you all will take the opportunity to check out new HD radio um, and let's try to give them as much support as we can. Definitely. So I'll All turn right. it over to you. All right. Okay. On that transitory note, let's go to the stories that I have uh, picked out. Okay. So the first one is about housing options for individuals with autism. So the Autism Project of Palm Beach County is building Babe's House, a community residential home designed specifically to serve six male residents with autism spectrum disorder. This is not Big Brother uh, autism style. This is actually a very well-designed home for individuals that is uh, purpose-built to meet the needs with uh, all walls are lined with soundproofing material to reduce noises and distractions. The lighting is LED throughout the home to avoid the buzzing and flickering of fluorescent lighting. Each resident will have his own bath, bedroom, bathroom, and walk-in closet to allow them private space when they choose not to socialize. There is a large main living area as well as a separate gaming work area so residents will have additional space choices for recreation and social activities. The home is located on a full acre of property with a large fenced in yard garden area and gazebo at 18450 Limestone Creek Road in Jupiter and will be managed by an iBudget waiver provider for residential habilitation. In addition, there is a large air conditioned lanai in the house allowing for additional space for socializing or break time. Construction of Babe's House should be completed by December, 2020. So what is um, important about giving individuals with autism greater independence? Well, first of all, definitely like to thank the Autism Project of Palm Beach County. That's a great project. And I think it's going to create excellent opportunities for these residents. So as far as the importance of greater independence, I think this is such a uh, 
so important for the psychological well-being of individuals with autism. I mean, I think one of the ultimate goals, and you can probably speak more to this, Merrick, than I can, but it's to learn the skills to allow yourself to have independence and have the skills to be able to care for yourself. Um, and I think that from the psychological standpoint, this is so important because it gives these individuals the opportunity to have self-efficacy and self-worth and to really just feel good about the journey that they've taken to, to get to that point. And besides that, I think it's also a great opportunity to live with friends and have those more advanced social relationships um, and just to be able to support each other through navigating adulthood, which is never all that easy, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I think that naturally the human experience is always leaning towards greater independence, mm -hmm. no matter what it is. Uh, it could be someone in a house with other people. It could be someone enrolled in an independent living program like I was in, uh, groups of people in intentional communities, like in that blog post I wrote up earlier in the month about housing options for those with autism. Uh, I think that overall, uh, people just want to prove that they have their own agency, firstly, because it allows them greater uh, self-esteem skills, and it allows them greater skills of being able to uh, showcase that whatever condition they have, that isn't going to define them as much as who they are, not completely what they are. And I also believe that it's uh, partially due to the idea that we want to ease the burden of those who, who we feel like, who I feel like, and they don't feel the same way, but it's just basically being charitable to, to other people. Like, uh, I don't want it to be to where I have to depend on my parents for every need because that wouldn't be fair to them. It's, right. it's great that I have this job right now where I'm able to pay my rent and I'm able to live in an apartment by myself so I can be able to ease some burden of my parents. Now, they don't see it the same way that I do because... I feel like as an individual, as a person, it is good to ease the burden of those who I've loved so much, who have loved me so much. And as you heard earlier in the interview, the feeling is completely mutual. But um, I just think that it is a great idea to have something like Babe's House uh, to have intentional design or to basically have a thought or meaning behind every single bit of construction and design in this and 
since it is 18450 Limestone Creek Road that is very close to the center. So if they're enrolled in any programs or they're curious about the programs we offer, it isn't exactly a long walk or a long drive to get there. It's, uh, it's definitely a very uh, coexistent state of uh, being. And that is very useful. So congratulations to the Autism Project of Palm Beach County and congratulations to those who have been behind uh, Babe's house. Absolutely, it's a great accomplishment. And also, as you mentioned, the proximity to our center here at the Ells for Excellence Center continues to make Jupiter uh, a cutting edge town for autism support and also autism research. All right, so now here's the second story. The last story of the day, it's about planned giving. There has been a significant consensus due to the CARES Act, which has expanded the amount given as tax deductible uh, in relation to the coronavirus and the overall charitable response to organizations, foundations, and people in a time of remarkable need that this is planned giving's moment. According to Paul Sullivan of the New York Times in an article titled, Philanthropy Rises in Pandemic as Donors Heed the Call for Help, findings have suggested that planned giving surge is the highest it has been all century. But you may ask, what is planned giving? Good question. Planned giving is a way to make charitable gifts through perpetuity and philanthropic uh, contributions that maximize personal objectives. Someone who's the state leaves an amount annually to a foundation or organization is an example of planned giving. Now I've left some relevant links in the show notes for people who are more interested about how to give to us and uh, what exactly it is about planned giving's moments and also what planned giving really means. So if people want to know how to give to us through a planned giving arrangement, how can they? That's a great question. Well, they can check out the content in our show notes to assist with that a little bit. And also um, very easily, they can go to our website, elseforautism.org, and they can click on the donate tab, which is on the top right corner. So, um, Lots of opportunities here. And again, we mentioned it in our foundation news for today, but we do gre greatly appreciate the assistance that we've gotten from, um, from organizations and from families to help us continue to provide the services that we, um, that we love to provide. So thank you again. Yeah. We want to thank everyone who has donated to us, who has worked uh, the mile for us, ran the mile, I mean, who has basically uh, allowed us to uh, function. Uh, and, you know, all the time and effort and uh, donations and the like 
have worked towards a greater future for those with autism. And that is something that we can always be thankful for. So before we go, we want to thank the foundation for believing in us to be able to do a podcast for any willing listeners. And because of that, we will be seeing you again in July. And sorry about that. We'll be seeing you again in October with some more coverage on us and the autistic community in general. For... I could fly so high, oh, like a butterfly. I fly into the air so high, oh, like a butterfly. A moth is a butterfly without any colors, but what's beautiful is what's inside. Maybe a moth is just a butterfly trying to hide. Well, I'm just a caterpillar crawling around. Knowledge in my head, but my feet on the ground. Soon I'll be like an angel in the sky, like a butterfly. I wish that I could fly so high, oh, like a butterfly. I fly into the air so high, oh, like a butterfly. Like a bird, I was meant to soar. I will fly through the sunlight and even when it pours You can't stop me when I get a hold of the wind In the future your eyes will light up To think that I was once a poor caterpillar Will grow up and take to the sky like a flock of butterflies I wish I could fly so high Oh like a butterfly I'll fly into the air so high, just like a butterfly. I'm a butterfly